Thanks for joining us for today's sermon. We are always so encouraged to hear how God is working in your life. If the messages of this church have touched you in some way, please share that with us by clicking on the contact tab at lifesc.org to send us an email. And if you would like to give to this ministry, you can do so online to help us bring messages just like this one to you each week. It is our prayer that God blesses you through this message today. But I want you to just share with me and just walking through a very familiar story of David and Goliath. And I'm going to share with you some things you maybe never saw before. Burned into our culture is the idea that David and Goliath is the concept of the underdog winning. The one who is unqualified winning. And yet, I want you to see today that David was more qualified on that battlefield than Goliath ever was. So let's go to the word of the Lord for Samuel. I hope I've intrigued your mind already and I've got your attention. Um, let's, let's begin here in 1 Samuel, verse 45, and then we'll read verse 46. If you're there, say amen. And if you're not, say wait on me. You're almost there. Them iPads, I tell you. Well, you can read from the Bible in the sky if you have not made it there yet. Then said David to the Philistine. Sometimes you have to talk to your problem, amen? Anybody ever needed to encourage yourself in the Lord like David did? He knew how to speak to the issue. Thou cometh to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. Everyone say reality check. Yeah. He didn't deny what Goliath had in his hand for fighting with. He said, but I got something better. He said, but I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts. How many know that's a powerful name? the name of Jesus revealed later. Lord there means Yahweh or God. The God of the armies of Israel whom thou hast defied. The next verse, please. This day will the Lord deliver thee into mine hand. Who's going to do the deliverance? The Lord will. And I will smite thee and take thine head from thee. And I will give the, car the carcasses, this is some pretty graphic language here, carcasses of the hosts of the Philistines this day unto the fowls of the air and unto the, the wild beasts of the earth, that all the earth may know that there is a God in Israel. Why would he use that language at the end there? Because that's what Goliath used against him. And so all he did was repeat the threat that the enemy said to him, only he added the name of the Lord to it. He said, God is going to do to me or to you what you said you were going to do to me. And so I want to share with you a personal story at the end here today. But, you know, I'm good with those. I'm good at those. But I also want to share with you the story of David and Goliath. And I want to share with you a little bit about what moves your faith and what moves you through the successes and the victories, making you a victor in Christ not a victim in your situation. Amen? Amen. Jesus, we love you so much. We're thankful for your word today. We're thankful for your keeping. You're so, you're so good to keep us safe, Lord God, and, and guard us and lead us and guide us, I pray. As we walk through the word today, let your voice be the one that speaks. In Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. God bless you as you be seated. The worst thing to deal with is somebody that won't move. Somebody that won't budge. Amen? I'm glad that God directs us even in when we're misdirected. Anybody know what it's like to have God speak your name and say, hey, I'm glad you're moving, but I need to kind of direct you another way. God would rather redirect somebody that's in motion than try to move somebody that's stuck. Some people think they're deep when they're just stuck. Have you ever met people like this? They think they're so deep, and really they're just up to their waist in mud. You know, they're just stuck. And they're not deep really at all, but I'm grateful for a God who speaks to us in our minds, that speaks to our passions in our heart to move us when we feel like maybe we're stuck. Sometimes we just feel that way, and feelings will lie to you. Hello, somebody. Hello, somebody. Feelings will lie to you, Amen. Sometimes God's working behind the scenes and you just can't see it. Turn to your neighbor and tell him it's not what, it's lo what it looks like. Turn to your neighbor and tell him it's not what it looks like. Okay? So God's always up to something. And I wanted you, 
to be able to understand with me today as I was praying and seeking the Lord. I feel like this is a message from the Lord. And uh, every week I try to get a voice from the Lord because I don't want to be like the Old Testament prophets where they just leaned on what was once said. I want to try to find something new and refreshing in the Lord. And what's interesting about my walk with God is I will prepare a, a sermon on Monday and not be able to teach it on Sunday because I just have this new spirit about me. I want to know what thus saith the Lord for today. Anybody have a now spirit with God? Anybody want to know what the Lord is saying right now for us in our lives? Amen. I, I, and so sometimes I'll prepare a sermon and I'll dance and I'll worship and I'll love the Lord and I'll think, man, that's a great word. And like I was parked in Galatians this week and I thought, well, we're going to go there. But when I walked in today, God changed my entire sermon. Uncomfortable. Yeah. That's uncomfortable when God moves on you in a way, but you have, to, you have to obey the spirit of God when he moves on you, amen? And you have to have faith to back that move because if you have God say you need to go this direction and you've never built your faith at all, Bible says faith cometh by hearing and hearing by the word of God. That's why you need to read your Bible. That's why you need to be at the house of God and hear the preaching go forward of the word because that particular verse means that when you hear the word proclaimed or said audibly that it builds your faith. And when your faith is built, when God says move, then you have faith to apply to that move. Amen? So it's really hard for you to not get stuck if you don't spend time in the word. And if you don't spend time building your faith, you will find a place where you put your foot in and can't pull back out. Amen. You will find a place where your spirit feels dull and low and that you feel like you're not moving. But if you continue just to feed on the word of God and you continue to come to the house of God, whether you feel like it or not, hello, somebody, whether your kids want to come or not, you go ahead and pack them up in the car and bring them to church because you know someday there's going to be a call from God and there's going to be a, an opportunity for your children to be chosen by God. And he's going to ask them to do some things that are difficult to their logic and it won't make much sense. There's no pros and cons list that you can build that's going to make you say, yeah, this is the right way to go. But you're going to know that the Holy Ghost is talking to you and your children are going to know that the Holy Ghost is talking to them and they're going to need faith for that moment because they will not move without it. They need faith to move. Amen. And so we know that the Lord of heaven and earth oftentimes gives us bite-sized revelation. He gives us each step, one step at a time. So build faith for your next step. That's good preaching, Pastor. Build faith, not for your 10-year plan, not for your 20-year plan. Yes, financially plan, yes. Do all the things that are smart to do. Make pros and cons lists in your life for your own personal economy. Yes, that is true. Be smart about life. Don't be a fool in life. Uh, the, we talked about the scriptures last week that said, be wise. I don't need to go back there into that guardrail sermon, but I want you to know that while you you're being wise. Do this also. Make sure that you're building what needs to be built that's most important. And that's your faith. So, <coughs> excuse me. One individual that had a very powerful situation happen to them. It was a man, and I won't even give you his name because it's not important. He saw an instance of injustice take place to a young lady. She was being attacked, and he ran over and he just did everything he could to save that young lady. And then the news reporters got him into an interview and they said, you're a hero. What, what propelled you to act or to do something? And he said, I have this strong sense of justice in my heart. And I believe that everybody should have justice done. And I saw an injustice happening. And when you see something, my mama always told me you should do something. When you see something, you should do something. And that is not just a message that needs to be heard from a man who is now called a hero. He goes, I'm not a hero. I just saw something and I acted. I did something. I was sitting in Culver's not long ago and I was just, excuse me, I'm coming off a cold. And I was enjoying lunch and the lady over behind me starts choking. And the lady that's sitting across from her runs around and starts doing what I think is the Heimlich maneuver. It might have been the Watusi. I don't know. She was trying to do the Heimlich maneuver on, on this friend of hers. <coughs> and the friend, excuse my cough, the friend was turning purple. 
And at this point, I realized I needed to do something. I saw something. I needed to do something. So I, she, she moved away and just started getting all panicky and yelling. And at this time, the whole, the whole you know, eating area w- knew what was going on. So I slid out of my chair. She moved over and I slid right in and I started doing the Heimlich. And all of a sudden, her passageway cleared. And, I just put, and then I just backed up and put my hand on my shoulder to make sure she was going to stay upright and just gave her a minute. I said, and she didn't hear me at all. She didn't know that I had come in to do something to help her. She thought it was still her friend doing the Heimlich maneuver. So they sat back down. They finished their meal. I go back and I finished my meal. But on my way back, uh, an EMT meets me. He was coming to do service as well. He's coming to help. And he got me by the shoulder. He goes, man, that was awesome. Great job. You acted so quick. And I had that same feeling of if you see something, you should just do something about it. You should step in and do something. And that's just justice at work in our hearts and our life. And God will give you that. But that strong moment of help wasn't because I felt like I was a hero or anything. Yeah. That guy said, you, you helped her. You could have saved her life just right then. And he's like, great job. And then the whole dining area ruptured in applause for me. And I'm like, hey, thanks. <laughs> Anybody want to saw autograph? I'm signing autographs at the front afterward. And they all got excited. And so I went back and sat down, but they thought, this lady thought they were all clapping because she, you know, was able to breathe. Breathing is good, right? This is important. We need to take in air and expel air. So they sat back down. She didn't know that I had come up and done this. So when we get, they get ready to leave, her friend said, no, I didn't help you. That guy is the one that saved you. So she comes over and she's just, thank you so much. Oh, I appreciate you so much. And she's hugging me and I'm trying to eat my burger and I'm, you know, getting ranch all over me from my fries as she's hugging me awkwardly, you know, for giving her, you know, help because she didn't know. And then at the end, I'm just like, I, I didn't, I came home and I told my wife, she goes, babe, that was amazing. You probably saved that woman's life. And nothing in my mind ever thought that I was a hero. But what I did was I acted when I knew I could. And what God does when he gives you step revelation, when he gives light unto your feet and a lamp unto your path, Psalm says, is he gives you your next step so you can, in faith, go ahead and move. So revelation that comes to you from the word of God, it may not be what your parents believed. It may not even be what your denomination believed. But what happens when God gives you revelation and gives you doctrine with inside the truth, amen, the truth of God's word, gives you doctrinal updates, okay? He gives you a frame of reference that where you used to live in your faith, now God shows you something new. He wants you, when you see it, to do something about it. Just as if you were to live your entire life, as if I see something, I'm going to do it. Live your entire spiritual life the same exact way. Don't be afraid of a faith move. Don't be afraid of something that God wants you to step into. Don't be afraid of the next level because he wouldn't open the door if you weren't ready for it. He wouldn't say, hey, this is available if he wasn't willing to support you in the next step, amen, of your life. Knowing that having children, you're never ready for children, amen? But when you have children, just say, thank you, Lord, and God will make you ready to parent, amen? Whenever you step into being a grandparent or whatever comes your way, guess what? You're going to be ready for it. You're going to be spoiling those kids, filling them full of sugar, sending them home with noisy toys. You know what it's like being a grandparent. It's going to be awesome. Yeah, take them. Take the little rugrats. I've already pumped them full of all kinds of stuff to drive you crazy. Every other, every next step in your life is built on doing something. So where this sermon came from was I was standing waiting on a plane. That's a shocker. (coughs) Since I have to travel for work, I was standing waiting on a plane and I looked up and there was a slogan on the TV. It said, when you see something, say something. It's a slogan that's been adapted by an ad executive named Alan Kay in September 12, 2001, after the September 11th attack. He, he just built this saying that says, if you see something, then just say something. And it was about seeing suspicious packages and things like that. And HLS and MTA, that's Homeland Security and Metro Transport Authority, all adopted this as a slogan to build faith in people that they could still ride public transit and not be in danger. 
that they could take planes and trains and automobiles and feel safe because they not only are the person traveling, but they're the person being the anti-terrorist. They're looking for suspicious things and they're reporting them, so therefore they're being involved in the process. You understand what I'm saying? Are you with me right now? I haven't lost anybody. So what he said is their security slogan was adopted not only by Amtrak, but Chicago, San Francisco Metro, Melbourne, Australia Metro, all of these different things. And what they were saying is change, giving people the faith to change things was giving them the ability to act themselves for that change. Amen? So in order for you to do something, you have to know something. And I love the statement, if you see something, say something. And they had all kinds of growth in this area. This particular slogan has built a stay alert kind of mindset. When you travel, the first year they grew in 814 reports. And by 2006, there was 37,614 reports of suspicious behavior and packages on public transport. All of those things were just, the, were just the ability to take a statement and say, if you see something, say something. I want you to know that there's something even more powerful than that, and that is that you can make change through your prayer. If you see something, pray something. If you see something, pray something. You may not be the person with the authority to step in and say something to that person, but if you go to the Lord, he's got the authority to handle it. You may not be the person that can say, hey, I don't know how to help you right now, but I, I, I tell you, this is what I did. That's great and that's helpful, but sometimes people won't receive it. Even if it's family to family, they may not receive it, but you can go to the Lord and God can do something and they will receive it from the Lord because God will make it, put it into their pathway, amen? Edmund Burke once said, actually it said Edmund Burke, he said, nobody made a greater mistake than he who did nothing because he could only do a little. The greatest mistake you will make in life is if you do nothing because you can only do a little. It's the little things that mattered most. In fact, it's the little things that are the biggest things. Amen? Amen. So we find David here in the scripture and he's talking to Goliath. How many know the story of David and Goliath? Raise your hand if you've already read through it before. So this is not an unfamiliar story to you. How many have heard it as the underdog story? <coughs> One contemporary artist said, I'm the underdog. <clears throat> There's a, I'm the underdog story, and that's my dog. <laughs> Today, I want you to understand a little bit of something different from this story, and I hope this encourages your faith, because I want you to know that if you feel like the David in a Goliath battle, you are actually the victor. You are actually more prepared with God on your side than anyone and anything that stands against you. We're the head, not the tail, amen? We're above, not beneath. How many know that? David, in verse 29, he said, is there not a cause? First of all, he took up the cause that there is a army that's standing at the Valley of Elah. Now, they're standing on one side of the mountain. The Valley of Elah's in the middle, and the other side of the mountain was on the other side. The Philistines are a Crete people. They're a seafaring people. They come from Crete. Crete often is a place where there was uh, really not too much to do with God. They, they had very little to do with God. They were people that grew their hair and their beards long, amen? And they would weave their hair into their beards at times, and they were a warring people. And so they came from the Mediterranean. They moved into toward Israel. And so they came to the, the mountaintop on one side of the Valley of Elah. And the children of Israel, this was often a place that was very beautiful. If you study it out, you will find out that that particular area is a very gorgeous area, valleys and plains and beautiful areas. But the wonderful thing about this is the Valley of Elah was where they would battle together, but they often would do this in, in historic times as they would have what's called single combat. They would take their greatest warrior and they would bring him down to the valley and they would bring their greatest warrior or Israel would take their greatest warrior and meet the Philistines' greatest warrior. And whoever won became the victor. And this is how they would keep from great bloodshed. They would keep the conquest from being very devastating by having one man stand for the nation. And so this is what was going on between David and Goliath. There was the battle going on. Goliath was the obvious victor. It looked like he would win. Didn't matter what you saw outside of the story. I, I want you to know that David was obviously a smaller man. How many know that? He was ruddy. He was well-complected. He wasn't even invited when he was... Now, at this point in time, just so you know, in this point in time, he was already anointed to be king 
but he wasn't king. This will tell you a lot about what God wants to do with your life. When God anoints you for a task, he'll sometimes send you back to the things you were once doing. Wait on it. It'll come to you. Sometimes whenever you're teaching your kids things that you know God's anointed for them to do in their life, they'll go back to old patterns. And you just have to continue to teach them because you know they're anointed to do greater things. I'm trying to help a parent here. I don't know why I'm helping all these parents, but this week and last week, I'm helping parents. Tony, <laughs> He's like, yeah, pastor, give me some preaching. But what happens sometimes is we think that when God anoints us, we're moving to the palace. We're going, we're going to step right into it. But Reese, we know that sometimes God anoints you to teach or preach long before you ever teach or preach. Sometimes he lets you live out your anointing in your life so that you can live it out in front of others. Because when you get in front of others, it's not the time to prove what you are. It's the time to be who you are in God. And so David is doing all of these things. He's actually with the sheep. In fact, Saul has called for him at this point. This is, I'm backing up just a little bit. Rewind. David is back here. He's called for by Saul. And Saul actually calls for the son of Jesse, says, send David to me, the one who is with the sheep. How would you like to have that for your title? I'm the one who takes care of the sheep. The king of Israel knew David as a shepherd. But David knew himself in God as a king. Do you see what I'm saying? Just because others don't know your qualifications and just because others don't know where God has planned, what God has planned for you and God has shown it to you doesn't mean you shouldn't be confident in who you are in Jesus Christ. Right. Amen? Right. Well, you guys are quiet today. Maybe I'm making you think. I don't know. Hopefully I am. But we'll keep moving. All right? You guys good? Jesus is sneaky. Yeah, he's, he'll sneak stuff in on you. You'll be walking with God and you'll go through a trial and then 10 years later, you'll use the strength you gained from that trial to step into your next level because Jesus is sneaky like that. He's the holy ninja. <laughs> I'm just getting you to laugh because humor can bring up an ability to receive what I'm about to say, okay? So when I... When I have you laughing, I'm about to hit you. You know, it's like the left hook is coming. You didn't see it because you're laughing. So check this out. We need to be people of prayer. Amen? Okay. I'm okay. I'm going to test that. We need to be people of prayer. David was not gifted with everything that Saul was gifted with. He was not gifted with height. He was not gifted as being a man of war from his, from his youth. Looking at Goliath's advantage, it would say that David had little advantage. Everyone say little advantage. I want you to know that with the Holy Ghost, sometimes it looks like you have little advantage, but you always have the upper hand with Jesus. Amen? Watch, watch. <coughs> Goliath had a coat of arms, a shiny coat of arms. Goliath came to the battle with a javelin and a spear, which is a large, they said his, the beam was as a beaver's, I don't, know, I don't even know, a weaver's beam, weaver's beam. So I'm just thinking, I'm just thinking this is one big dude with a lot of strength. And then it said he had a sword and a shield. So what I'm thinking is he's qualified for the job. Anybody would believe that? Amen. He's qualified to be a warrior. There was three kinds of infantry. There's three kinds of warriors in the day that we're talking about here. Number one is you'd have cavalry. That was the guys on horseback or on a chariot. That was one type of warrior. There was another type of warrior, which was heavy artillery or infantry. This was a man who carried shield and sword, and he walked in and did hand-to-hand -hand combat. Everybody say hand-to-hand -hand combat. This was what Goliath was. He was an infantryman. And then there was another kind of warrior that's not spoken very much of, and I want to tell you about this warrior. Because this is important for you to understand the story of David and Goliath and why David actually had the advantage. And that is artillery. Everyone say artillery. That is your archers. And that is something that's very little, that's not known very well. And that is something called slingers. Slingers were individuals who had slingshots. Not kids' toys like what we think of as a slingshot. 
but they actually had a piece of leather that was attached to two cords. And they would, and the cords typically were about six feet long. And they would sling those in circle. And they would put normally some sort of artillery inside the slingshot, whether it be a rock or some sort of <coughs> projectile, like a lead ball. They would put that in there and they would begin to whirl that in circle and then they would release one of the strings that would push, that would send the projectile forward at a rate of about, um, sorry, back up. They would send that projectile forward and that for, forward motion of that projectile was very deadly. A gentleman by the name of Malcolm Gladwell has written a book called The Unheard Story of David and Goliath and he said that when they would spin that sling in a circle, they would spin it at about six revolutions per second. So you're talking about an entire infantry of men that are going, you know, they're, they're deadly with their weapon. Their accuracy was amazing. They were trained with a sling. They were literally a warrior with a sling. And this is what David had in his pocket. So, they have done studies, this Malcolm Gladwell has done studies on the ballistics capabilities or the calculations on the ballistics of a person <coughs> using a sling in those days. And he said when they released that, that projectile, it was moving at approximately 35 meters per second. That's 114 feet per second. That is the same stopping power. Whatever they launched had the same stopping power as a 45 millimeter handgun. <coughs> this was the story of David. The story we think of a young man who picked up rocks and hit cans, you know? Like, we, in my mind, I think he was sitting there keeping the sheep and he's throwing rocks at snakes or he's throwing rocks at other things. But the Bible said that when he went before Saul and said, I can take this uncircumcised Philistine, he was saying that I have something that I have already proved. And Saul didn't understand because Saul was thinking from the same mindset as Goliath, infantry. He's coming down as an infantryman to fight hand to hand. You're going to fight him hand to hand because that's the kind of warrior that he is. But I want to tell you that anytime the enemy approaches you, this is a physical enemy of David, but we can liken it to the spiritual enemies of our soul. And anytime, oh, I feel the Holy Ghost right now. Listen carefully. Anytime you approach the enemy of your soul, we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and spiritual wickedness in high places. When you are attacked in your life, whether through circumstance or spiritual attack. Never attack the enemy on the same ground that he's attacked you on. Go to a different level when you fight your enemy. If they come at you with false accusations, don't turn around and accuse them of things with false accusations. Just step back and get your sling out and begin to pray a prayer and begin to seek God and let God bring you on another attack level because you're never going to win a combating head to head. You're never going to win going head hand to hand with something that you don't even really know you're attacking. You know they're attacking you, maybe in the job, in the workplace, in your life, whatever it is, you fill in the blank, but don't ever come back at somebody the way they came at you because that is not a way to win. You always have to go to the next level and that's taking it to the Lord in prayer, amen? Are there any slingers in the house? I just want you to get that in your mindset. Get that in your mindset that you need to go to another level. Don't ever come at somebody when they're, whenever they curse you or whenever they're standing in your face and they're opposing you. Always just take a step back. Control your own emotions and begin to approach it through God. Amen? And let him be the fight for you because guess what? The battle is won in the Lord. Amen? The Lord is our fight for us. He comes to the battle with us and he will fight for us. Amen? So what that means is you may be part of the battle. You may be be part of the, the, the conquest, but you are not the one that gets the overall victory. Remember that, that in any battle that you're in, God is going to help you to get the victory. Amen, somebody. Stay with me today. I'm going somewhere. Stay with me. I need a long runway, but I'm going somewhere. And so we find that Slinger's accuracy in the historic record, they could kill or maim their target up to 200 yards. They could also, in medieval tapestries, it shows that slingers were capable of hitting birds in flight. 
And also we see in places where it's depicted in, in ancient text that in historic battles, slingers were the ones who turned the battle to victory. I want you to know your prayer life matters. Your prayer life is being a slinger in the kingdom and the army of God. That is the equivalent of what David did here is when you step back and you say, you know what? I'll just pick up five smooth stones and I'll put them in my prayer life and I'll send them at the enemy. And I don't know necessarily how they're going to land, but I know when it's all done, I'm going to take out the sword and I'm going to cut off the head of that giant and I'm going to win the victory. I want you to know that you're not just going to win just through prayer. You need to have the word of God in your life too, because David won not only by his slingshot, but he won by using the weapon of the word against his enemy. He used his own sword against him, amen? So we see all of these weaponry ideas and we see different things coming to play, but David had every expectation of hitting Goliath square in the head. He didn't come into that battle going, "I I think I need a sword. I think I need a shield like he did. But guess what? His weakness his, his apparent weakness of being smaller and less prepared actually was his advantage. Do you see what I'm saying? Because Goliath goes into the valley with an armor bearer. And the armor bearer's intent was to block any oncoming threat so that Goliath could win. But when Goliath came at David, and when David got closer, he said, what do you think I am, a dog? that you come to me with sticks? A, David had one shepherd's staff. He didn't have sticks. He had only one. So that says something right there. Study it out. You'll find out what I'm talking about. I'll get there in just a second. Goliath expected hand-to-hand combat. So because of the disparagence, is that the right word? Disparity, thank you, my vocabulary over here. Because of the disparity between the two, the armor bearer moved out of the way. That's what I believe happened. Because there's no more talk of the armor bearer. But they do say that Goliath was led into the valley, which speaks to something. It speaks to the fact that there is a possibility that when Goliath moved slow and he needed to be led, that there's a chance that he had a condition that takes place with most large individuals. That he was led by his armor bearer, that's one. That he could not see that David did not have a sword and shield and was prepared to fight him as an infantryman, he didn't understand the fight that was coming at him. And that he would, he, he called them sticks instead of one staff. All these different disparities, uh, well, I'll stop using that word now. All these different disparities has a question that has been posed many times. In fact, it was written about in 1960 in the Indiana Medical Journal that started the question about Goliath's height. And that is something known as acromeglia. And it is a tumor that grows on the pituitary gland that causes an overproduction of human growth hormone in the body. Of course, Goliath had four other brothers. So David picked up five rocks because he's a man of faith. He said, I'll get one when the brothers come after me because I took out their brother, I'll get all the others. I don't know. That's not true at all. I'm just, I'm just making a really good sermon out of this, I guess. I don't know why he picked up five rocks. He just picked up five rocks. Maybe he felt like the brothers could be in the army and would come after him. Who knows? But he's like, I got one for you and all your brothers too. I like David's attitude. But what I see here is I see that there's a possibility that whenever this pituitary gland begins to grow, it starts to affect, to have effect on vision. Did you know that? Not only does our body grow until they die, some of the people that you may know about is, there's a man by the name of Robert Wadlin. He was still growing at the age of 24 and he was eight foot four inches when he died at age 24. Another one you might know of is Andre the Giant. Ever heard of Andre the Giant, the wrestler? He also had this um, particular ailment was, was acromegalia or giant's disease. But what happens is the pituitary gland, because of this benign tumor, begins to compress on the visual nerves in their brain and it causes double vision or profoundly nearsightedness, which could indicate that though Israel stood on the mountaintop and looked at this giant foe, 
they could not see that he was very incapable of doing anything but hand-to-hand combat. So when David walked into the valley and Saul tried to put all his armor on him and said, you're going to need armor like Goliath has. You're going to need a sword like Goliath has. You're going to need a shield and a, and a, and a staff, like you know, a spear like Goliath. He was trying to make him like the enemy. But that wasn't the fight God wanted him to fight. God had already prepared David to be a victor long before he ever got to Goliath. David is sitting in the field with shepherds going, what a boring life. All I get to do is sling rocks. God must have a plan for me. I got anointed to be king. I just don't know why I'm still shepherding. Guess what? Everything that was in David's life was there on purpose. Everything that's in your life is there on purpose. Everything that happens to you happens for reason. I want you to know that, that your faith in God is what gives you courage and what gives you belief that God is moving you in the right direction, regardless of sickness, regardless of what happens to you, regardless of where you came from or what your upbringing was or how healthy or unhealthy it was. God is moving you. When you put your faith in what God has given you, guess what? Every single moment is not wasted. Even the hard moments, even when you bury your mother or you bury your husband, or you bury your grandfather, and you stand at a grave and go, why did they have to go? Guess what? Those moments build you. Those moments lead you. And if you put your faith in God's plan, it will move you into his plan for you. I'm preaching to somebody today who thought you lost out because you didn't get, or you, if only you had, take those sentences out of your life. If only David had a better upbringing. If only David wasn't even invited to the anointing of the king. If only David had had what his brothers had, Eliab, strong and good countenance and looked like a king. But no, when Samuel was even confused by his own vision of what God would do to knowing another king because he knew Saul was kingly. He was listening to the voice of God and God said, don't look on the outward appearance. Don't look on what's been in their life. Don't look at what they look like on the outside. For God looks on the heart and God sees your heart and God knows the passion inside you and God knows what he's leading you to and God knows what he's going to change through you. Your faith gives you a move when it seems like you don't have a move. So the army is frozen on the side of a mountaintop against a man who's defying the armies of Israel and they don't have a move because they don't have a man. Woman either, just so you know. That's just biblical terms. It's 2018, I got to throw woman in there. Can't be talking all man and not woman. This is 2018. Women's power. So we see this, and I'm wrapping it up as fast as I can go. This is too big of a sermon. I got four pages of notes, and this is too big of a sermon. You should see my notes. This is not at all what I'm preaching, but the Holy Ghost is here, amen? But it's not what it looked like. So this effect caused them to think that there was not a victory in their future. They thought they were going to fall to the Philistines. But sometimes it's not what it looks like, amen? Remember what I had you tell your neighbor when we started? It's not what it looks like. Because although Israel was frozen on the side of a mountain, there was a little boy that came to bring some cheese to his brothers. And what Goliath didn't know is though his opponent wasn't a hand-to-hand combat man, Brother Dan, he had a slingshot in his pocket. And what I want to equip you with today is the ability to understand that your faith puts a slingshot in your pocket. Your faith gives you an opportunity to change things you couldn't change on your own. I'm crying because I know where I'm going next and you don't know yet, so I'll preach it to you and then you'll, maybe you'll join me with some tears because I grew up in a home that taught prayer and taught living for God even though the life lived was a mess. My mother went through three marriages, had a fourth man but didn't marry him. The first marriage was my dad. Second marriage was my brother's dad. But my sister and I had the same father. My brother is a stepson or a half-brother, but I love him as a brother. He's preaching and building a church in Florida right now. He's a good man, lives for the Lord. 
card carrier. He's a pastor. But I appreciate the fact that he knows we came from a place we shouldn't be fighting Goliaths, but we're fighting giants every day because God put a mother in our life that taught us how to pray. And she put a, a weapon in our life because you see the battle's not yours, but God lets you be a weapon through your prayer. And so my sister and I, I, I was mostly beaten, but she was sexually abused. I was a little bit sexually abused. My stepdad the one who's the father of my brother, went to jail for 15 years. You guys, some of you know my story. It's not a pretty story, not at all. It's one you don't want to tell over a pulpit. And I thought, man, if I had a better upbringing, stand on the shoulders of good parents, I'd be, man, graduate. I'd gone and got my doctorate already. And right now I'm, you know, doing this through Liberty University. <laughs> And I'll, be, I'll have my doctorate when I'm 60. I'll be like, I'm ready to preach. <laughs> Dr. Calhoun. Double D, divinity. Doctor in divinity. At 60, my son will be preaching, somebody will be preaching, Reese will be preaching, and uh, I'll just use it for a plaque on the wall. Doesn't matter about that stuff. But what mattered most was that my mom taught me how to pray. All of the mistakes she made, she got one right. And the most important thing, I honor her because the Bible says, honor your parents. I honor her not because I can give so many accolades to all of what her life has been. I honor her because through all of it, she prayed for her boys. And she lifted up us in prayer. She taught us how to pray. I go to bed at night and hear her weeping in the other room. And I go in like, Mama, you okay? Because I thought something was wrong when people cried. I didn't know that you could cry in the presence of God because of joy, because of what he brought you out of. And so she's praying for us boys, and, and I didn't know, you know anything. I just knew that I had to recover myself from the abuses. And so I launched out on a campaign to remove all the curses from my life that came from that previous generation so that I wouldn't pass it on to that boy and that daughter, so that I was the last who had abuse in their life, and they would live without abuse. And so as I was campaigning to conquer all these curses, generational curses, and thank God I've beat them all in the power of Jesus' name, amen? I'm not addicted to anything. I should be addicted to alcohol and pornography and everything under the sun, but I'm not. Thank God for that. My story is just a story of victory only because of the victor who saved me. And though heaven was the victor in my life, I want you to know he can do the same for you wherever you're at. But the thing that I want to share with you that's most important, the reason why I brought tears to my eyes just a minute ago was I started out on a path where I prayed, Lord, I need a job in the city where I minister. This was Muskego at the time. I need, you guys know some of this. I need a, let me, let me just get to it quickly. I need a job in the city where we're, I need, a, I need to live in the city where we're ministering. God gave me all of that, paid for my tuition through school. It was to be a funeral director to get my associate's degree to start my college career. But I got associates in applied science so I could move on in the degree even though I was using it for funeral service. And then we started this funeral home in Waterford, and the funeral home's going great. We broke ground on the new building. We're building a new building, a life celebration center. It's going to be done this spring. We're having our first big event there next fall. That is a success in my life. But what I want you to know is while I had all this funeral director stuff going, God started tapping me on the shoulder and saying, you need to start a church. And I'm like, I do dead really good, Jesus. <laughs> I can bury him in Jesus' name really good. I need your help to build a church. I don't necessarily know the best way to do that. And God put people in my life to help me. And so we began and we launched this church and we began to grow the church. And what I found out was that whenever I got to a point where we needed to bring another funeral director on at the funeral home, that it would take away my income because we needed to pay that funeral director. And that funeral director was a former Racine County medical examiner, so he was connected to everyone in the Racine County where we had the funeral home. And it was going to grow the business. And the reason why we're here today building a, a life celebration center was because we brought on Tom Terry, who was the former Racine County medical examiner. And Tom Terry built the business, knew everybody. Everybody came to the funerals. Hey, Tom. Hey, Tom. Hey, Tom. Good to see you, Tom. Yeah, I'm here. I'm with Integrity Funeral Service. You need to bring your families here. We'll care for you. We'll love you. We'll take you through the grief process. Yeah, all of that worked out great. And now I'm burying my friends because 
because you know what? I have a process in my life that God put me into and I stayed with it, amen? You gotta stay with it whenever you wanna get through it. And so what happened was I stepped away and God offered me a job through a man who was in the church that I was previously pastoring in Oconomowoc. His name was, um, I won't say his name, but he's my boss now. And so he, he was in the church. I began to work for him in 2013. I just said, hey, we brought another funeral director on. I need some extra work, another side income, another you know, stream of income. You should have multiple streams of income. Amen, somebody. All right, we're getting there. And so I had another stream of income through him, and he said, sure, Tuesday through Thursday. Come on, I'll let you travel with me. I'll teach you how to install my, my equipment. And so it's putting in video cameras and servers into universities and spaces like police interrogation rooms and um, university and speech pathology clinics and things like that, capturing the video that goes on inside of a room. When you have a child and an adult in there, you have to record what goes on in that room and then linking it to our servers and showing them and teaching them the software. I can teach. I can talk. Talk. I can go all day. Put me in front of a group of professors. I don't care. I'll teach them how to use a software. That's great. I can do this. So I start working with him in 2013. The company makes about $150,000 that year. Last month, we made about $875,000 in one month. And it's just been growing ever since. God's been blessing that business. And the whole time I'm going, I'm not a business person. I'm a pastor. Lord, what's going on? This seems like a weakness. This seems like... I could feel the church if I could be home every week and teach Bible studies. I could feel the church two times over if I could use the gift of charisma that God has given me to make people smile and make people laugh and to enjoy coming to church. I could, I could use that gift that you gave me, God. Why, why am I traveling? Why am I in New Hampshire under a Northeastern last weekend with two foot of snow? <laughs> I was beautiful, you know, but still, why is all that happening? And three weeks ago, roughly, I went to Delaware Children's Advocacy Center because last, about a year ago, we put on, we put on a new silo, which was not just police interrogation, but children's advocacy centers. And I'm the face of Intelligent Video Solutions for children's advocacy centers. And I'm putting in the cameras that catch criminals that hurt kids and God has used my story to take me to a place where I am now catching people that used to do what my stepdad did to my sister and I. That's what I'm just trying to say today, is God will move you right to where he can use you. And he'll use everything in your past. If you don't get bitter, if you don't get upset, if you don't get mad at the people that left you because they couldn't see the good in you, all they could see was the bad in you, the negative in you. If, if, if they can leave, let them go, amen? If they can walk away, those that are for you can't leave. Those that are against you can't stay. You've heard it before. Let them leave. Don't chase after anybody because the only person you're supposed to be chasing after is God. And when you chase after him, he'll take what looks like an inferior situation. He'll take what looks like a David moment and he'll help you conquer the greatest giants in your life. So now I'm catching crooks every single day by the stuff I install in these children's advocacy centers. And anybody who thinks they can hurt a kid and I'm near them, you're in trouble. Because I'm a little boy that doesn't have much, but I got a slingshot in my pocket. God used my life to turn it into a weapon to conquer the evil of this world in that particular place. So now when I go in, I talk to the therapists, I minister to them. I say, you're doing good. You're doing great. Keep going. I know you see the worst of the worst. I know you have stories that, that have been told to you that are just grotesque, but don't give up. You're saving children. And I minister in a place where I was supposed to be conquered. I'm saving kids in places where I was supposed to be taken out. I hope that's enough sermon for you today. I don't mean to run long every single Sunday. I'll try to curtail it. But this is what the Lord wanted to say to somebody today. You feel like what's been taken from you is a loss, but really, that's what happened on the cross, amen? What we thought was defeat, was actually victory.
That's sneaky Jesus again, sneaking life in through death, sneaking victory in through what looked like victimization, sneaking in hope in hopeless, what looked like a hopeless situation, sneaking in strength through a situation that looked like weakness. Hey, man, somebody, you come to me, you just tell your enemies, you come to me with all of these things, but I come, with, I come to you in the name of the Lord with a sling in my pocket. I hope somebody leaves here today feeling like they are the weapon and God is the warrior, amen? That God's gonna win their battle, but God's gonna use them somehow to do it. Would you stand with me today? James 5, 16 to end says, the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Would the worship team come? I want to celebrate one last time. If you have to go during the song, that's fine. If you want to pray, that's fine. I want you to know that your faith is going to give you a move. Amen. There was a famous chess player. I close with this. A famous chess player went to Brussels, and he was walking through the museum, and there's a large painting. It was, it was a painting called Checkmate by Faust. And he stared at the painting because in the painting, it shows a chess player sitting with the devil. And the devil has won. And it has the pieces set on the board. And the title of the piece is Checkmate. The devil has checkmated the individual. The, the chess player has played the devil for his soul and has lost. And so the famous chess master came and he stayed all day staring at the painting and around 4 p.m., you could hear him yelling in the museum, he's got a move left. He's got a move left. There was a mistake in the painting that the painter didn't realize, but the individual that had played the devil for his soul actually had one move left that could cause him the victory in the painting. The mistake was not even noticed by the creator of the painting, but it was a testament in the the. The chess master said, it's a testament to the fact that even when you think the devil has you in a checkmate, God still has a move left for you in your faith. Amen, somebody. Let's sing this song together as we end today, and let's praise God. Would you just make this place a prayer room? Everybody in this place, just join us in this song. Bring the lights down for me, Seth. And you're welcome to join us at the altar or pray at your seat or go today if you need to. God bless you. Go with a slingshot in your pocket of prayer. Amen. And you'll be a victor. In Jesus' name.